May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So there are people who say that they like change. I think those people are lying. I mean, sure, there are some changes that we like. I personally love the changes of the seasons. That first cool day in fall where you want to wear a scarf or those first daffodil blooms in the spring. Some of you are loving the change that's happening now as baseball season comes to a close and football season begins. I don't understand people like you. But what I find is that most of the changes that we enjoy are changes that are predictable. So I like the change from summer to fall, not just because I'm tired of heat and humidity, but because I know what fall brings. Those blue skies and crisp days and the colorful leaves. Change, when we know what's on the other side, is easier to go through than change when the outcome is unknown. Change is hard. Change is scary. And most of us are afraid of it at one time or another or in one way or another. But the old saying is true, which is that the only constant in life is change. So how can we live in a change-filled world and not be afraid? Today we're continuing the sermon series that we began last week, Living Unafraid. And throughout scripture, all throughout scripture, we find God telling his people, do not be afraid. But it's so easy to be afraid. Not just to experience fear, which is normal and appropriate often, but to get stuck in that fear. That is not what God wants for his children. God does not want us to live afraid. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we respond to the fears that we experience? And how does God free us from them? How can we live unafraid? These are the questions that we're asking over the next five weeks. And today we're talking about how we can live unafraid of change. But before we can figure out how to live unafraid of change, we have to figure out why we're afraid of change to begin with, right? So last week, you might remember, we talked about the story of the bronze serpent. God told Moses to make this bronze serpent so when the Israelites were bitten by an actual serpent, they could look at the bronze one and be healed. The cure for the thing that the Israelites feared was to face the thing straight on. And in doing that, to look on to God. So if God is going to heal us of our fear of change, then we've got to look that fear straight on and see what it is that we are afraid of. And our scriptures today show us some of the main reasons that we fear change. So the first reason I think we fear change is that all change involves loss, And all loss creates grief, and nobody likes grief. So because we want to avoid grief, 
we resist change. So let me unpack that just a little bit. First, every change involves loss. Now, if you think about an unwelcome change that you might experience, that's pretty clear, right? So say you're laid off from a job. That change brings more than just a loss of income. It brings the loss of relationships with colleagues. It brings the loss of the sense of identity and purpose that work can give us. And those are significant losses. But even when the change we experience is welcome, even when it's desired, it also involves loss. So just ask any child who has gone from being an only child to having a little sibling. Or ask a newlywed. Marriage brings the joyful promise of life lived with the one that you love, but it also means the loss of some of the freedom of singleness. The freedom to watch what you want on Netflix, or to choose vacations based only on what you like to do, or to have the dishwasher loaded the right way. All change involves loss, and all loss creates grief, whether we recognize it or not. Often I think we think of grief as something only that we experience when someone we love dies, but the truth is that grief is something we experience any time we experience a loss. Because with any loss, it's painful to let go of how things were or of how we hoped they would be. It's painful to let go of relationships, of the feeling of security, the sense of identity, all those things that are so often lost in change. Grief involves feeling sad, disappointed, hurt, angry, and none of those things are pleasant feelings. So it's little wonder that we can be reluctant to embrace change when change brings us grief. And I think that's what we see in our gospel reading this morning. Here we have a man who comes to Jesus and asks him what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. There is every indication that this man is sincere in his question because he kneels in front of Jesus. He addresses him with respect. He calls him good teacher. And Jesus responds with a question, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. Jesus seems to be suggesting that if the man sees him just as a good teacher, then he's missing who Jesus really is. And then Jesus says, you know what you need to do to obey the law. Lists off the commandments. And the man responds, yep, I've done all those things all my life. We don't know exactly what Jesus thinks of this response, But it's clear he knows the man is forgetting or really missing the big point. And that, that provokes compassion in Jesus. Because Mark tells us that when Jesus looked at the man, he loved him. 
And because he loved him, he said, Sell all you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And then Mark gives us this heartbreaking conclusion. Disheartened by the saying, the man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What Jesus had told the man to do was to make an enormous change, to sell everything he had, to go from being rich to being not rich, maybe even to being poor, to let go of all of those things that his many possessions had provided him, a sense of importance maybe, of security, pleasure, the admiration of others. And it was too much. It was too much for him to lose. It was too big of a change. And even though he was sad about it, the man couldn't make the change that Jesus had invited him to because the loss and the grief would have been too great. And all too often, we are a lot like that rich man. We fear and resist change because we don't want to experience the loss and the grief that change inevitably brings. We also fear and resist change because we may want the transformation that change brings, but we don't want to have to endure any discomfort or any inconvenience along the way. And we see a classic example of this in our reading from Exodus. The reading, if you noticed, is the opening verses of two consecutive chapters, chapter 16 and 17. And in both of these chapters, the Israelites are in the wilderness of Sinai after God has miraculously freed them from slavery in Egypt. In chapter 16, the Israelites are grumbling because they're hungry. In chapter 17, they're grumbling because they're thirsty. And in both cases, they complain to Moses, to their leader, and they say, why did you bring us out here if we're only going to die of hunger or thirst? Because at least back in Egypt, we had food and water. Now, to get the full picture of what's going on here and why it's actually kind of funny that these first verses of chapter 17 are so much like the first verses of chapter 16... You have to know what happens in the rest of chapter 16. So the people complain about being hungry. And what does God do? He gives them food. Manna, quail, as much as they could need. So the people complain. God hears their complaint. And God provides abundantly. And then, before you know it, it's chapter 17. And they're complaining again. God is still providing them with manna every day, but they are worried because they've now gone to the next place that God has told them to go, and there's no water there, and they are sure they're going to die from thirst. I wouldn't be surprised if some of them didn't say something like, Moses, we've got nothing to wash this manna down with. This manna that God keeps, us, keeps giving us every day, it's making us thirsty. The irony here is not subtle. But again, God hears their complaints. And he tells Moses, 
take your staff, that staff that when you raised it, the Red Sea parted and you guys walked through, take that staff and go over to those rocks and hit the rocks with your staff, which Moses does. And water starts flowing out of the rocks. A friend of mine had an Old Testament professor in seminary who used to say that the problem with the Israelites was that they wanted liberation without inconvenience. They wanted to be freed from slavery and happily ensconced in the promised land, but they didn't want any of that bothersome stuff along the way. The bothersome stuff of having to trust God to care for and provide for them. When the Israelites were back in Egypt, they weren't free, but at least they knew where their food and water were going to come from. But now once they're free, they have to learn an entirely new way of being. A way of being that requires them to rely on God for everything that they need. And that is a hard change for them to make. The Israelites wanted the change of liberation, but they wanted it without the inconvenience of learning a new way of being that relies on God. And so often the same is true for us. We may want what change will get us, but we don't want to experience any inconvenience along the way. Or we don't want to let go of the familiarity of the old ways, even though we actually want something new. It makes me think of a story a friend of mine told me about a conversation she had with a friend of hers. And that friend mentioned something about her almost ex-boyfriend. And my friend says, what's an almost ex-boyfriend? And the response was, well, he's having trouble committing to the breakup. (laughs) So often, we are afraid of change because change requires us to embrace something new. New patterns, new territory, new ways of being, things that are unfamiliar. And because they're unfamiliar, they require us to trust God. To trust that God will provide what we need, physically, emotionally, spiritually, To trust that God will take care of us. Most of all, I think they require us to trust that God actually will be with us no matter what. And that is hard. And so we fear or we resist change. Because it's hard to trust God in the midst of the inconvenience and the pain and the unknowns that change always entails. And that leads us to what I think lies most deeply at the heart of our fear of change, which is that change threatens to disrupt our identity, our sense of who we are. All of us occupy lots of different roles in our lives, roles like parent or child or spouse or worker or friend, and change often upsets those roles. So divorce means going from being someone's spouse to not being someone's spouse. The birth of a child means going from not being a parent to being a parent. Aging means going from being the caregiver to the one being cared for. And those role changes are unsettling 
and rightly so. But the problem, I think, is that we often confuse our identity, who we are, with the roles that we play, the roles that we occupy. So when our roles change, our sense of who we are is threatened. I experienced this when I went through my divorce about 10 years ago. I had spent years being someone's wife, and then I wasn't. But then once I wasn't someone's wife anymore, who was I? That change in my role cut really deep into my sense of identity, of who I was. That kind of pain, that kind of change, where role changes our sense of identity, to some extent it's inevitable, and to some extent it's good. Because we want to bring all of ourselves, our whole selves, to these different roles that we occupy. And that means that those roles will shape our sense of identity, of who we are. But while our roles are always subject to change, our identity is not. As followers of Jesus, we are and always will be beloved children of God. That identity is the very truest thing about us. And by God's grace, it will never change. And that, I think, is the key to living unafraid of change. The more firmly our sense of who we are is grounded in our identity in Christ, then the better we are, the better we are able to face and to weather the challenges of change. Because at the end of the day, it's God's unchanging steadfastness not our own, that allows us to live unafraid of change. And it's the steadfastness of God that our reading from Revelation helps us to see. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, God says. Yes, God is making all things new. He's bringing about a new heaven and a new earth, A reality where his presence is known among all people all the time. That's a lot of change. But the new heaven and the new earth are actually the the culmination of what God has been up to all along. God himself has always been the end toward whom all creation is moving. So that word end, where God says, I am the beginning and the end... That word end in Greek is telos. It means not just the end, like the termination of a thing. It means the end as in what enables something to be finished, to be completed. It means the purpose or the aim of a thing. So when God says, I am the beginning and the end, I am the telos, God isn't just saying... I was the first one here and I'll be the last living being. God is also saying, 
I am the one who created all things, and I am the one who brings all of creation to completion. I am the one who will bring you to completion, to the fullest, truest version of yourself. God is saying that when all is said and done, I, God, am the purpose of your life. And I will use all of the things that you experience to bring you closer to me. Even the things that I didn't cause, even the things that broke my heart watching you go through, I will use even those to bring you to your ultimate end, which is a life lived in me. God's steadfastness and faithfulness are the bedrock of our identity as his beloved children. And it's God's steadfastness and faithfulness that allow us to face and to weather all kinds of changes. Changes that otherwise would rock us to the core of our being, to the very sense of who we are. God is steadfast and faithful. The problem is that we are often forgetful of that fact. And never are we more forgetful of God's steadfastness and faithfulness than when we're afraid. And I think that's why over and over throughout the Old Testament, God tells the Israelites to build monuments to remind them of what God has done. So whether it's the stone pillar that Jacob sets up where he dreamed of the ladder going up into heaven. Whether it's the stones from the Jordan River that the Israelites bring into the promised land. Over and over, God's people establish these visible, physical, tangible reminders of God's steadfastness and faithfulness. These reminders that God has been with them in the past and God can be trusted to be with them now and into the future. And that is a practice I think we can imitate. Not necessarily erecting stone altars everywhere we go, that would be a little weird. But we can still create tangible reminders of God's presence and his steadfast faithfulness. It is a very practical thing that we can do that helps us combat our fear of change. So there are lots of ways to do that. A friend of mine keeps a small jar of stones and a paint pen on her desk. And every once in a while when she has made it through some tough change or some difficult season, she takes one of the stones and she writes on it a a word or phrase that reminds her of how God has seen her through that. And so each stone in this jar becomes a reminder of how God has carried her through hard changes. And even the blank stones in the jar are a reminder that God will continue to be faithful in all the changes that the future will hold. So there are lots of different ways that we can remind ourselves of God's steadfastness in the middle of our changes in our lives. Maybe we write things on stones. Maybe we reset the password to our email or Facebook account to something that reminds you of what God has done for you in the past. So every time you log in, you're reminded. 
Maybe you hang a sign or a picture somewhere where you will see it every day that reminds you of God's steadfastness and faithfulness. One of the most powerful, tangible reminders of God's steadfast faithfulness is something that we experience every Sunday, the Eucharist. At this table in the bread and the wine, we see and smell and touch and taste a reminder of God's love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness that took Jesus all the way to the cross and to the empty tomb. Here, we gather at this table, and we gather together as community. We each are living testimonies to each other that God's grace holds steadfast through all the changes of our lives. Here, we feed on spiritual food of the faithfulness of a God who delights to call us his children. That unshakable identity that grounds us through all the changes we will ever face. Change is hard. Change can be scary. But we are beloved children of a steadfast and faithful God. And so we can face and weather whatever changes life throws our way. I want to close with a beautiful prayer that is part of the Anglican Compline service, the service of prayer for nighttime before bed. The prayer speaks of the hours of this night, but I think it's true for all of the hours of our lives, waking or sleeping. It's a prayer that invites us to live unafraid of change, because we live in the love and the grace of the one who never changes. So let us pray. Be present, O merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this life, so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of this life may rest in your eternal changelessness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.